yeah, a lot of our wealthiest clients are like driving really crappy cars because they have nobody to impress. And at the end of the day, like, are you buying a BMW because you love it and you, you really truly, it makes you happy, you enjoy it? Or are you doing it to just impress other people? Hey, you beautiful angel. Welcome to the Female CEO Show. I'm your host, Megan Turley, and I'm here to give you all the details about being an entrepreneur, running your own business, discovering your passion and turning it into a profitable business, leaving the nine to five corporate life and creating a life that you truly love and enjoy. I successfully turned my side hustle into a multiple six-figure business, and now I'm here to help you do the same. I hope by tuning in, it inspires you to take the steps to create the life you really want to live. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm so freaking excited that you're here. Enjoy the show. What's up, my family? Welcome to the Female CEO Show. This week, I am so freaking pumped because we have Sylvia from Manic Capital here. And Sylvia is my own personal financial advisor. My husband and I just did our VIP finance day with her, which was like mind-blowing. And what I'm finding working with a lot of female entrepreneurs or women that want to be, you know, small business owners, they don't know shit about finances. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) you kind of want to have an idea of your finances, especially when you own a business. So Sylvia, hi. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I was so excited to do our VIP day last week. And then I was like, I can't wait. So let's do this podcast. Like, as soon as possible. <laughs> no, it worked perfectly for my schedule. So I'm so glad you were available this early. No, that was great. Oh, perfect. Well, I'm very excited to be here because I know that financial planning, managing your money, investing is probably one of the hardest things for women because yeah. we are automatically thinking, we always automatically think that we're not good at it. So I'm very happy to be here and really talk all things finance. Yes. So tell everybody. So we have listeners from like all over the world. We've got Canadian people. We've got a lot of people in Romania and Kenya and Mexico. So literally all over the world, but just kind of talk about like what it is that you do. What do you specialize in? How can you help women that want to be business owners? Absolutely. So I'm a financial advisor, financial planner, not the traditional sense. Usually if you just go onto Google and just put financial advisor, you'll typically just get like a 60 year old white male (laughs) That is, you know, trying to help you with your finances. And unfortunately, something that I saw three years ago after I kind of left that old firm is that people, especially women that are starting their businesses, they just don't need only investments. They need everything. Like, let's figure out, okay, how do we actually budget for your business? How do we budget for your personal life? How do we make sure that we're, you know, strategizing with all these different goals, right? A lot of the times, People will come to me and they'll be like, I need my investments working for me, but we have to do a lot of things in the background as a foundation. And and that's something that I really specialize in, which it's not really what traditional financial advisors do. Traditionally, if you ever go to a financial advisor, literally all they'll do is like, they'll take your money and then they'll manage it, but they won't do anything else. And so that's just not very empowering that I've sensed for a lot of women. Yeah. And that was like the whole reason I had like never gone to anyone within the last like five or six years, because like you said, any financial quote unquote advisor that I had ever met with was an old dude. It was like, (laughs) and they're basically like, okay, put your money here in this account. And that's like it. There's no other background. So when Jordana posted you, I was like, 
thank God, a female that works with female business owners, like, let me get on that. So tell everybody like kind of the typical type of clients that you work with. So most of my clients are female entrepreneurs, coaches, influencers, service providers. When I started my business, I was working mostly with younger females. But then I realized that when you start your own firm, when you become self-employed, it is so confusing because you have to deal with taxes, with your own business, with your personal stuff, with your investments. And so I realized that there was such a huge need that now I only pretty much work with female entrepreneurs and and coaches. Ah, we love that. We love that. We are all about the female business owners here. So this is probably kind of a common question, but what age is best to kind of start investing. I know a lot of people that's like a buzzy thing, you know, but now you see on TikTok, like start investing immediately. But like, you know, tell us kind of your views on that. So I definitely would agree in sense, in the sense where I would start investing as soon as you can. But having said that in the United States, now I'm originally from Spain and in the Europe, in Canada, in Latin America, in Asia, colleges are not as expensive as they are here in the United States. So people are able to start investing a lot sooner abroad because they don't have $200,000 of student loans. Now, right in the United States, I have a whole personal opinion about college and everything, but a lot of people are graduating from college with you know six figures of student loans. And so what I would always say is depending on how high the interest on those students' loans are, it might just be better for you to aggressively pay off your debt before you start investing. So I typically say once you've paid off any like high interest debt, right? Any any debt that you owe that's over 6%, you should probably get it off your books before you start investing because it's going to be hard for you to do better than 8% in the long run in the stock market. So would you also suggest like paying off a mortgage and holding off on investing then too? No, absolutely not. So things like, for example, and this is something that I always like to explain, right? Like wealthy people, they love their mortgages. They love their equity lines of credit. They love like, you know, they're typically getting really good interest. They're maybe paying three, 4%. And so that's very smart debt, right? That's debt that you don't want to pay off let the bank take it and then just do the minimum payment or monthly payment every month. That's, that's pretty smart. What I'm talking about is mostly, you know, student loans were very low at one point. I have some clients that have higher loans, credit card debt, things like that. That's better to pay it off as soon as possible before investing. But no, a mortgage is something that is totally okay to have. You know, that was kind of our strategy whenever we are able to buy a house, like even if we can pay cash out of pocket for it, I'm not going to do that because there's no sense in, you know, wiping out our cash when we can have other things that just pay the mortgage for us. Exactly. And I think as women, we have a very hard time understanding where even growing up, I always thought that having a mortgage was bad, right? I I would ask my father, I'm like, why do you have a mortgage? And my mother, who was very conservative was like, oh, I just cannot wait to pay off this mortgage. Let's just pay it off. Yeah. And my dad, who's a smart, like, fine. Well, he's not, he's not that smart, but <laughs> he knew a little bit. But he, he was like, no, we can, you know, we, this is a great, we have a 3% loan. I might as well have all the extra cash and invest it in the stock market and real, you know, all the things. And so for me, it was always very hard to understand like what he meant. Cause I'm like, I thought debt was bad. And so as, as I got older and I realized that, 
you know, I started investing, I realized how powerful the stock market was and how I wanted to have as much cash as I could without, you know, put it paying everything for the house, for example. Income producing assets over correct debt traditionally. Exactly. Exactly. And since I'm glad you brought up like good debt and bad debt, we'll just skip right to that one. So what, what would you actually consider like quote unquote good debt versus bad debt? Yeah. So good debt, typically when I mean good debt, I meant it by like an interest. And if you're, and also it depends what you're doing with that debt. So let's just say, for example, that a bad debt would be to take your credit card and go on a shopping spree and just go to Forever 21 or whatever that's <laughs> the, I don't even know. They, you know, back in the day, Forever 21. <laughs> forever you know? 35, you mean? <laughs> forever, I know, right? <laughs> so that would be bad debt, right? Because you're using your credit card to buy things that are not actually going to make you money. If Unless you were to argue with me, which is a little bit hard, that that clothes that you were going to buy at Forever 21 or whatever were going to make you more money because you're going to look better. And yep. therefore, sometimes I've had clients like try to tell me that. I'm like, no, girl, <laughs> like, no. However, if you take out, right, you take out maybe a line of credit or a mortgage or uh, even credit card debt, but you're using it to invest in your business. You're using it to invest in yes. like an income producing asset. You know, it, it makes total sense. So maybe, maybe you borrow at 10%, which would be high. But if you can borrow money at 10% on maybe you have like a a new entry offer for a credit card, whatever, or a line of credit, and then you're able to invest in your business, and you're getting a 50% return on your business or 100% because you're doubling, you're getting new clients, you're making sales, that's smart. Right? But 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 what I don't want to see is and sometimes I typically all my clients if they have credit card debt it's typically because they have invested in their business yeah. and so they're making more money off of it so it's definitely like it hasn't been used for the for the wrong reasons at all but I the, you know the typical w- w- if you're buying a car if you're buying yeah. you know clothes or things that are not really going to make you um, money yeah. that's yeah. you're not that you're not utilizing debt in the most efficient way yes I'm so glad you said a credit card for your business, because I have always told girls that I've talked to, like, if you are really struggling, like, look at opening up a credit card for your business and don't like freaking max it out at like 30% interest, but put on it what you need, because it is technically a good investment. And I think we're so like in the U S you'll probably agree. We are so like conditioned to believe that debt is just like this awful, awful thing. And you should never have any debt. Right. A hundred percent. And you typically will hear about it from all these like finance gurus that, and they're not really talking to the women that you're catering with. Right. I think sometimes we'll hear advice and that's, that's typically they're talking to the people that are using debt to buy, you know, Louis Vuitton purses or stuff that's not really going to make the money. But, but if you're using it to invest in your business and to really grow, I absolutely would agree with it. As long as you're doing it in a rational way and you have a system behind it, and, and to really understand how you're going to pay it off, I think it's totally okay. Okay, perfect. Because I know a lot of times, like I said, it, it's kind of tricky for you know business owners starting out or if they want to invest in coaching. I'm not the type of coach that would ever say, you know, open a credit card to work with me because <laughs> I hate that. But, <laughs> but it, it is an option for people if they, like you said, they have a plan to pay it off and they already know that they have enough income coming in to at least make, you know, bare minimum, the minimum payments on it, right? 
Exactly. And and one of the things that I was going to say, right, I think credit card debt has a typical a negative connotation. Yes. And I would, I, I think, you know, if you have credit card debt that you haven't paid off in two, three years, and it's just racking up interest at 30%, yeah. that is something we need to tackle. But there are a lot of entry offers where you might not pay interest for the yes. next 15 months, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yep. If you're thinking of starting a business and you have a strategy to, you know, be able to, and, and you're someone that really believes in yourself, you have a strategy to get new clients and to pay it off. I think you can always utilize something like that, where it's for 15 months, you're not paying any interest to be able to grow your business. Absolutely. Let's switch gears just a tiny bit, but you know, like we were talking about, it can be really hard financially for small business owners in the beginning to even like make enough money to cover like expenses and overhead and then to also pay themselves. But let's say that they also want to start investing. What what would you recommend for people that have, you know, very, very small, but what are some options that they could do? Yes. Yeah, so typically if you're self-employed, you're probably or depending, right? If you're self-employed, now you have to take care of yourself because you don't no longer have an employer who is going to be able to put money away for you anymore, right? Now you're the employer. So Manen Capital is my business and Manen, I have, as me as the business owner, I have to make sure that my employer puts money in for myself and, and, and as well. And so that's just something you need to realize when you quit your job that you no longer have that. And so what I would say is at least get into the habit, right? If you don't have any like bad debt and you're able to really start investing, put five, 10% away of everything that you make, right? If you make a sale and you've just sold a package for a thousand dollars, just to make the easy math, put away 20% for taxes, 15, 20% for taxes, because everybody forgets about taxes. That's something that I keep all the time. All of my clients, many of my clients come to me, they're like, shit. <laughs> like, that is first and foremost in my brain, because I'm terrified of the A word. I'm not even going to say the A word. I'm sure you know what it is, but <laughs> not even speak it. So that is the first thing that goes out for me. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so put that aside, but always put like what I w always from day one, when I started my business, I actually, I made it a habit to just put 5% away into my 401k or my into a taxable brokerage account, whatever it is, right? I typically recommend either a SEP IRA or a solo 401k. If you're a business owner, SEP IRAs are a lot easier to put to just start. They're like, you can set it up. We set one up, Megan, for you. It was so fast. Like, it was like five Right, and like two yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, not even. Yeah, not even. And so you can set one up super quickly. And I would say, you know, start putting whatever you can, 5%, 10% of whatever comes in aside. Because at the end of the day, human beings, you have to think of our bank accounts like a bar of toothpaste. And a lot of the times what I'll see is that all of a sudden, women will have a bank account and they'll see $2,000, $3,000 in their bank account. They're like, shit, this is great. This I can spend all this money, but you can't, you can't. Cause not all 3000 is for you. No, Exactly. Right. And that's, that's a common like mistake that I see with women yeah. where as soon as they make a sale, especially with new coaches and service okay. providers, they'll make a sale and then they'll make the mistake that they can spend all of that 20%, put it away for the IRS. Yep. Like it's not your money. No. The other 10%, put it into a SEP IRA, into a 401k, just to get into the habit of, you know, growing your money. And then the rest, then the rest you can spend for yourself, for your rent, for your business, 
all the things. But but at least those two things, taxes and investments, should be priorities before you start spending money out of the business. And that notion has always been freaking wild to me. Like it can be a little bit of a mind fuck, if you will, because you see your bank account. And like at the end of January, I think I had the biggest balance that I'd ever had. And I was like, whoa, like this is awesome. But then I'm like, okay, I have all of my February expenses that need to come out of that. (laughs) And then we have taxes. And then, you know, I need to like pay myself. So you have to, like you said, you have to look at it as, this is not just willy nilly money that you can go buy a Louis bag with. Like it goes to places and you have to be very regimented about it. Exactly. And so sometimes with some business owners, it depends, right? It depends on who you are. Some people like to open up separate accounts, right? And I personally, in my business, I've got three separate bank accounts. So my first account is where all my money comes in, my income. Yep. And then I have a separate account for taxes because I know the tax man, like I, that's not mine. Yep. And then I have another account for all my expenses. Yep. So any expenses that I have actually come out of another bank account. So any money in comes into one bank account. So I, it's clean. I don't pay anything out of that. And then all my expenses come out of another. So that way I know I'm like, listen, this $5,000 or $4,000, whatever it is in this expense account, that is only for business expenses. I'm not going to. And so then I know, okay, as I'm growing my business, I'm taking calculated risk because I know how much is in my bank account. I know exactly, right? We do a business budget because not because we want to constrain you, but because we need to know how much are you actually spending in your business so that we can plan. Because at the end of the day, if I don't know how, if you're spent, you know, if you're spending $20,000 a year in your business, you need to know that you need to know the amount of money that you're spending so that you can know how much you should have in your, you know, operating expense account in the one hand. Yes. And that's, I've always told the women that I work with, I'm like, you have to know your numbers because especially in the beauty industry, it's very much like, you know, women will just see themselves as a service provider and not a business owner. And if I ask them, well, are are you profiting on your services? Nine times out of 10, they're going to be like, I I don't know. Like the money's in my bank account. I'm like, that's not what I mean. Like (laughs) earning a profit. Like, do you know what it costs you to do a facial or to do a haircut or to do a set of lashes? Okay. Then that's your expenses. But then what else needs to come out of that money? And they're always like, oh, like, (laughs) Exactly. And it's funny because the the traditional financial advisor will look at that and say, but don't you know, I haven't seen truly financial advisors geared to this problem because I don't think they are even aware that most women don't know this stuff. I was actually talking to my boyfriend this morning about this, about, uh, he's like, yeah, I had a friend who was like a hairstylist and he was saying how he was making a million dollars in his business. And then when I helped him with look at his numbers, he was actually negative because he had all these expenses from all these hair salons and all the things. Oh. And it's like, and I told him, I'm like, this is more common than you think yeah. about women thinking that they're making two, $300,000. And then when I go in and I look at their bank statements, I'm like, that's not what you're making, girl. Like, no. And so we either need to, you know, reassess what expenses we invest in or We need to figure out a way to make more money. And I mean, you saw my numbers from our breakdown. I was like, I'm doing pretty good, but I also have a lot of expenses at the same (laughs) time and we need to cut that down a little bit. And we got home and my husband goes, 
I really thought I was the spender in the relationship, but now that really <laughs> perspective for me. And I was like, they're, they're business expenditures, babe. Like, <laughs> exactly. Well, well, I think the number one thing is like, we just understand, okay, this is where most of our money is going to are these people that we are investing in, or are these people that are helping us or however it is, are we, you know, at the beginning, you're not going to see a return at the yeah. beginning. It's all about investing. But there is a one point you're going to have to, you know, if you've hired a couple of different people, you're yep. going to want to see an ROI uh, yes. or a return on investment from the people that you've hired, at least from your biggest expenses. Like a great example is I'm actually naturally a very cheap person and naturally. So <laughs> <laughs> when I started my business, I had like $5,000 and I was like, I can't spend any more. No. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was just like, this girl is such a cheap motherfucker. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I can't deal with her. And I was like doing everything myself, right? I was like, yeah. let me do my own website. I'm not going to invest in this. And then at one point, I remember investing in this like investment software that really helped me like be better with investing and, you know, help, you yeah. know, my clients and everything like that. And, and I think that's when I realized, I think it clicked at that end. It was, it was literally, I think it was in 2020 and I was so proud of myself because I had saved all this money, quote unquote. And I went to my dad and I was like, dad, look how much money I saved by doing it myself. And he's like, or not, you could have actually lost money because you didn't have an expert do it for you, but because yeah. you didn't have. And I think for me, that's when it kind of clicked. I think the reason why he had been successful in business was because he knew how to take the calculated risk. And I think for me, it was very slow at the beginning because I was being a cheap person. And so I think there is a fine balance where you don't want to be like me, where I was just creating my own website and doing all the things, but you don't want to be like buying a Louis Vuitton bag and try to justify it for your business. That's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> and I think it kind of goes back to scarcity mindset a little bit too, because I deal with a lot of girls in the beauty industry that it, like you said, it looks like they're bringing in a lot of money, but at the end of the day, if they need to invest in something, they're like, well, I don't have the money for that. And it's like, yeah. well, you do, but you need to start properly investing in yourself and in your business to see a return. There's a reason that you never have any money. Like it, it's just freaking mind blowing to me. Like some of these girls were like, would you recommend to hire a CPA? I'm like, yes. Yeah. You do not <laughs> want to try doing your business taxes by yourself. You will get the A word and then you will also lose money. Like just make the investment. <laughs> Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody should be attempted to do their own. If you're a beauty, oh. like if you're a coach, like I don't even do my own taxes. I'm a financial planner. Yeah. I don't do no. my own taxes. No, like that's I'm not something you should be doing. No. And your books and even your, yes. like your QuickBooks. I understand in the beginning. I mean, one of the reasons why we help people kind of set up their QuickBooks, because I understand that, you know, paying maybe four or $500 a month in the beginning you know, that's $6,000 a year, which yeah. can add up to a lot if you're not careful. But, you know, there is a point where you're, if you outsource that, there's going to be such a, like a lift that comes from your mind and that you don't even have to worry. Like if that's just something that gives you anxiety and you hate it and you just can't stand it, there is nothing wrong with hiring an accountant, a QuickBooks, a financial planner, like there's nothing wrong with that. I know there's sometimes you'll hear people being like, don't invest in that. You can do it yourself. But I think I learned it the hard way of how much money you can actually not make by going the DIY route. <laughs> and I'm a huge proponent of, especially once you're making some decent money, 
outsourcing whatever you are not good at and whatever you like hate doing. So for me all last year, I invested in a social media manager because I just freaking hated it. Like, it's just not my thing. And same thing with the CPA. Like I will always have one because I don't know that shit. And I'm not trying to like screw myself just because I didn't want to spend the, whatever the $1,500 to have my taxes done professionally, you know, like it doesn't and make sense to me. Absolutely. And, and, and the money, the $1,500 at the end of the day, it's like, Is that's maybe one or yeah, it's like one half, like one sale for your business or, or, or yeah. a couple of new clients where, and yeah. then you don't have to worry about the, you know, that situation. It's absolutely a hundred percent higher CPA a certified public accountant to do your taxes. If you're listening to this <laughs> and do it and look at it as an investment, plus it's a tax write-off. So just do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So for those people that are actually like bringing in some decent income in their business, but they haven't invested before, or maybe they had like a weird old 401k from an old job that they just never did anything with, but they're not actively investing. What would you kind of suggest for them? Like what would be a decent strategy for them? Yeah. So if you're self-employed, I would probably recommend just with a starting out with a SEP IRA, it's going to help you save on taxes today. It's going to defer. Basically, you're deferring taxes so that you're especially if you live in New Jersey, New York, Indiana, like high tax states. Indiana is actually a high tax state, which you never have thought of. Um, We have have one of the highest gas tax in the country. Yeah, exactly. So if you live in a high tax state like that, it's pretty smart and you're self-employed to just open up a SAP IRA, contribute. There are limits to how much you can contribute. So you're either going to want to ask, you can use like a, if you Google calculator SEP IRA, you can try figuring out that yourself. If not, ask your CPA or your financial advisor, like to just make sure you're not going to over contribute. But what I would say is open that up either with, I like Fidelity Investments yeah. or Schwab so I personally use Charles Schwab. That's where I have my money. But Fidelity is another one that I really like as well. And they're from Boston. So win-win. <laughs> That's where I'm from. <laughs> so I have to like, you know. And so I would say open one up. They're not going to be as pretty as the Robinhood or all these fintech companies that you can open up on an app. But when you're talking about your money, when you're talking about really growing your wealth, you do not want to be using a weird new fintech company that doesn't have any kind of backup, doesn't have really any customer service. And and I mean, yeah. Megan knows what I'm talking about, but I know there's a lot of out there. It's never <laughs> like Robinhood, guys. No Robinhood. We took all the money out of Robinhood. <laughs> yeah, I, I always, whenever clients come to me, which most clients come with a Robinhood account, we're like, let's get it out because it's you know lack of customer service. They very expensive stock. So I like Fidelity and Schwab. I'm not getting paid for it. That's just where I have my own money and where I recommend. And open up that SEP IRA and start buying just one index fund, you know, just one with the money, put five or 10% of whatever you're bringing in, just to get kind of get into the habit, make sure not to over contribute, but just get into the habit of putting money away and create it automatic, right? Like Megan and I, we're gonna today, we're gonna set up the automatic so that we're not only making automatic transfers, but we're also automatically investing in it so that you're not thinking about it. Because what you don't want to do is have to think about moving money over or have to think about investing. This should all be automated and you should not be like having to do this manually today with the technology. 
And what I find also, especially with newer business owners, it's like, if you don't automate it, there's either going to be no money left over to do it, or it's going to be like, oh, that's not like a big deal. Like my rent's more important. Like, but at the end of the day, it's like, what are you going to do when your back is broken from styling hair for 30 years? Like you need something to fall back on. (laughs) Exactly. And and exactly. And like being a hairstylist is a very hard labor job. It's very, especially on your hands. Just got like surgeons, right? Like your hair, everything, your feet, your hands, everything. And so you need to be, you know, aware of that, that this is something that you need to be prioritizing. And at the end of the day, here's, there's a great book. It's called Profit First. It should be a must read. I love it. It's so good. You love it. It's so good, right? It is a must read for any investor. Uh, I read, yeah, it's completely, and that's kind of how I, came up with the whole setting up different bank accounts. And um, it's like one of the, the things that my clients love most about the VIP days. It's just like yeah. setting up all these accounts, yep. but, but set up, like if, if you're having a hard time, maybe investing 5%, we need to reassess your personal expenses. Where is it that you're spending that is not bringing value into your life? Right? So something that I typically do with clients and, and I typically see is People are spending money like mindlessly and it's like, okay, how much value are you getting out of, you know, maybe either shopping or Uber Eats or all these things? Like, is that actually making you happy? DoorDash, (laughs) right? (laughs) I know. Like, is that actually making you happy or can we, because that's money, right? Like at the end of the day, you have to think about if you, most of my clients, because they're all millennials, they care about travel. Like that's just the number one thing that we all care about. And it's like, okay, if you want to do that, which we have to prioritize because we want to make sure that you're doing it, what can we cut out that's not actually going to impact the quality of your life? Yes. And so that's one of the things where I would say, number one, right, have that business budget so you know exactly what you're spending in. Is it actually making or bringing in money to your business or is it helping you save time? You know, keep it. it. If it's helping you make more money or save time, keep it. If it's not, get it out. And then the second thing is do a personal budget and then look at the things that you're spending money on that are not making you happy and cut those out and invest in something else like traveling, which is almost 100% of the people that I work with. We're just taking a quick break so I can tell you about my mentorship program. If you're stuck in corporate or you're working for someone else and you're just not happy, but you absolutely know that there's a more beautiful, fulfilled life possible for you, listen up, girl, because this program is for you. I created my private mentorship program to help women like you. It's literally a freaking rocket ship that's going to take you all the way from a little baby beginning business idea into the full-blown creation branding, launch, and day-to-day operations of your brand new business. And most importantly, it's going to help you leave that full-time gig that you hate. If this sounds like a hell fucking yes, DM me on Instagram at Megan Turley Coaching to get started. I cannot freaking wait to connect with you, help you build the business and life of your dreams because girl, guess what? That is 100% what you deserve out of life. Now back to the show. You touched on this just a tiny bit, but talk about the tax advantages to actually being a pretty consistent investor. Exactly. So when you're investing in like a solo 401k or a SEP IRA, if you're just starting out, a SEP IRA is going to be pretty, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be plenty for you. Solo 401ks, you can save a little bit more and therefore save much more in taxes, but they're a little bit, you can't really automate it. 
And I always get afraid from setting one up that the client is not going to do it because it's just a pain in the not butt automated. to set it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Automated. Yep. But if you can put in, right, let's just say you're in a 25% tax bracket. Let's, let's just say, for example, and I'm going to teach easy math. Let's just say that you put in a hundred thousand, you cannot put a hundred thousand in a set, but I just want to make it very easy for us to see. But let's just say you put a hundred thousand dollars in a retirement account, which again, you cannot do, yep. but I just want to do it for easy math. And you put in 20 and you're in the 25% tax bracket. You just saved $25,000 on your taxes. Maybe let's okay. actually make it, let's make it much more realistic. So let's just say you put $10,000 into a SEP IRA yep. or a solo 401k and you're in the 25% tax bracket. That means you just saved $2,500 of taxes by putting in $10,000 into your SEP. And so it's really smart if you're in a high tax state, like, you know, Megan and I, we both live, you know, Indiana, Massachusetts, it's not low. Yep. So, you know, if we can max out or put as much as we can into a retirement account, the maximum you can put in a 401k is about 60,000 roughly. So if you could put in, right, not everybody can put 60,000, it depends on your income. But if you can put 60,000, that's almost that's $15,000 of taxes that you could have saved today. It's a lot of money. You can do a lot, right? That, that's money that you're not giving to the IRS today what, that you can use to improve your business, to grow your business, to invest in your business. And so a lot of the times, you know, we should all pay our fair share, you know, but we shouldn't be paying a penny more. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's what a financial advisor a finan or a CPA should help you do is let's help you save the most amount that we can in taxes by utilizing these tax advantage retirement accounts while also growing our wealth, right? So how can we do that? And so that's why I always like joke that my VIP days are actually a money making because just on the taxes alone that we save, like it's a money machine, right? And so that's the way you want to think about it. It's money that you put in today so that you don't have to pay taxes today. And you're hoping that in the future, you'll be making maybe less money in a lower tax state, or even in a lower tax bracket. So you won't have to pay as many taxes. Did I make sense? Or it, I know it's confusing. No, I have a layman's terms for this. So it's basically just decreasing your overall taxable income, right? Exactly. Yes. So it's a little bit similar to tax write-offs because the way I explain it to girls that don't understand write-offs and how they work is like, okay, you made $100,000 in your business for the year, but you had $20,000 in expenses. To the IRS, it looks like you made $80,000, not the 100,000. So an investment account works the exact same exact same way, right? Basically. Absolutely. Megan, you should be a financial planner now. <laughs> You've seen my financials. I need to cut down <laughs> on the spending before I do that. <laughs> Like no, but <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. Yes. Okay, cool. And because I know this is such like, a tricky thing for some people to understand, especially if they're not super analytical, which most girls in the beauty industry are not. So trying to make it simple, stupid here. <laughs> and and one thing that I don't think people talk about it enough, but if you can put as much money as you can into your retirement accounts, therefore being in a lower tax bracket, a lot of the times you are eligible for more tax in, or incentives from the government yeah. if you're making less money. Yes. So what a lot of people will do, right, is max out their 401ks, yeah. try to, you know, as long as it's, you know, legit, right? Like I'm not saying do weird things, but if you're making business expenses or business investments, 
a lot of the times, if you made $200,000, but you're showing that you only made $10,000, you might be eligible for, you know, Medicare and other things that you wouldn't have been eligible for unless you had been smart about your tax strategy. So again, right, this is why it's very important to always try to maximize, have a really good CPA and a good financial planner to help you really maximize your tax advantages so that at the end of the day, you're actually, they're saving you money in the long run or even instantly. Absolutely. And talk a little bit about if people have a lot of debt, because I feel like it's just kind of like continually growing in this country, like the amount of debt that people have. I read a statistic that was, it was like the average American has almost a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And I was like, oh my God. So if someone has like a lot of high interest debt, but they also still want to invest, what would be like a good plan of action for them? So what I would say is if you want to start investing because you're like, I need to maybe contribute one, 2% of your income, just very small to get into the habit. But we really need to tackle this high interest debt because if we don't, the way credit card debt or high interest debt works, it just snowballs. And if you're just making the minimum payment, it's just going to snowball and it's going to take for ages to be able to pay off that debt. And so what I would say is we're going to have to get maybe for the next two, three years while you're paying off this, get a roommate. Is there a way for you to make more money, right? Can you rent out on the weekends? If you're going to some place, can you rent out your home on Airbnb? What are other ways that you can make more money so that you can accelerate that debt payment? I honestly would say just for the, you know, maybe for one year, you have to be very, very frugal because I'm one of those financial planners where I believe in living a good life, but the problem with these credit card debts is that it just doesn't stop. And, and so what I would say is number one, stop using your credit cards, right? Maybe put them into a block of ice. I don't want you using them because I don't want you racking up more debt and then you not making any progress. So that's number one, stop with the credit cards, cut them, whatever you need to do to then what I would say the number second thing is what are other ways that you can make more money, rent out a room, anything like that. And then the most, you know, because at the end of the day, like cut back on the stuff that's not making you happy. Maybe you still need to do a trip a year because it's going to keep you sane. But what are you buying that are not bringing actually value? You're going to have to get and I I hate like being like this, but you're going to have to get very serious. And the reason is because the way I want you to think of it is there's a lot of investors and a lot of banks making a lot of money off of your interest, the 28% interest that you're making. And so all you're doing by making the minimum payment is fattening their wallets while not allowing yourself to actually build wealth. And so I think if you can get very serious about it for one year or for two years, max, you can totally eradicate debt if you get very, very, very intentional about where your money is going. And you might have to get a roommate. You might have to, I think the biggest expense is going to be probably your housing and your car. That's typically what I see people spend the most money. What are ways that we can cut that, right? Maybe instead of having two cars, you, one of person sells one of their cars and yeah. you know lives off just one of them. Maybe you, know, you, you actually move to outside the city for one to two years while you're, or maybe back to your parents. I feel like in in America, we're taught not to live with our parents because it's like not adulting. But the the reality is, right, if you are out of college with a hundred or $200,000 of debt, you've moved to New York City or New Jersey or anything like that, (laughs) it's going to be impossible to make for you to make progress. So 
put your ego aside, put your ego aside and make it like a, like a, your job to get up, rid of the debt in one, two years, whatever time frame you decide on. But, you know, Dave Ramsey is, have you heard of him before, Megan? Oh, yeah. Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Dave yeah. Ramsey, I think his investing advice is garbage. But I think his <laughs> get out of debt, <laughs> yeah. I think his get out of debt plan is actually pretty good for the average American because okay. he's very serious about it. And it's called like the total money makeover. Yep. And sometimes you have to realize like, is this a mindset issue? But a lot of the times we're spending money on, he says this, and I totally agree that we spend money on things with money that we don't have just to impress people that are not even our friends. And so I think if you take your, check your ego aside, move back with a friend, with your parents in a, in a shitty condo for a year or two, you'll, you'll see how fast you can eradicate your debt. And the car thing for me is wild because I saw a statistic that was like most like average car payments in the U S are between like five and $700. And that is fucking wild to me. Like, why do you need a car payment that is that much? No, no, exactly. And, and it's so funny you say that because so two things, number one, do you know how much money you would have after 30 years if you invested $500 a month into the stock market, the U.S. Oh, stock market? Yep. Oh, a little bit over a million bucks, right? So your $500 a month car payment yep. because you want to have a BMW because you need to have a oh, good impression. Instagram. This is actually what I was told, <laughs> right? Right. I was actually told when I started my new job at a, at a bank, one of my coworkers was like, I mean, you should think about buying a BMW because you need to have a good image for your clients. And I'm like, girl, I still drive my 2009, like, <laughs> like SUV. Yeah. I love it. And I'm not planning on leaving it until it yeah. crashes and, or until, you know, hopefully yeah. as long as the airbags are working, that's all I care about. And yeah, so until it literally um, dies because it's got exactly. 300,000 miles on it. Like <laughs> Exactly. And, and I think it's so funny because I was at in, so this holiday I was at a restaurant and it's so funny because the guy was talking about how the wealthiest people that would come to the restaurant would be driving up their beat up cars and the people that would show up in their fancy beamers and all this stuff has like no money. And then I even look at it because I was talking to my boyfriend about this too. And he was, he's like, yeah, a lot of our wealthiest clients are like driving really crappy cars because they have nobody to impress. And their clothes is like from forever 21. I mean, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the day, like, are you buying a BMW because you love it and you, you really truly, it makes you happy. You enjoy it. Or are you doing it to just impress other people? Right. And so that's just a question. If you're doing it because it makes you truly happy and that's what you value. Great. But most people, I would say they value traveling and freedom and financial independence before driving a really fancy car. That is a gas guzzler too. And I feel like the other thing I see a lot is people buying too much house and especially oh. in, in this real estate market, it's like, why do you have a $3,000 mortgage? Like, was that smart when you bring home $5,000 a month? Like, that doesn't seem smart. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. So great, great point about this. I actually, I had a friend, a friend of a friend who bought a house, a $3 million house. And the woman wasn't working. The husband, I think, was making $100,000. And, and they just had a newborn baby on the way. So let me tell you, Connecticut with a newborn is a lot of money. Ugh. And, and 
the, the, the guy, he wasn't even paying the full amount on the mortgage. He was only paying the interest because he was hoping that in three years he was able to make more money and then could, could figure it out later. And that's what I'm seeing a lot, Megan. Like, I totally agree with you that I think we live in a society where it's like, you can't really show off your bank account unless nowadays you can't because you can just screenshot your bank account. But back in the day, the only way for you to show off how much money you had was your car and your house. There wasn't any other way. And so I think I've seen that a lot where automatically people think that their house is a good investment. And then if you actually do the math and you add up, like, I can't even comprehend you. Like my parents have a house in Spain and I can't even tell you the amount of maintenance costs and people and, and amount of money. I'm like, it's probably so much cheaper for us just to go to like a four seasons hotel for a week than to keep up this house maintenance costs. And that's my grandparents before they passed, they had a beach house down in Santa Rosa beach and close to Destin, Florida. And it was beautiful. Like I grew up spending summers there. It was a very cherished part of my childhood. But when they passed, they left it to my dad and his two sisters. And they said, you know, we see the maintenance that this house requires. Like what happens if a fucking hurricane comes through? Then you got to pay for all of that. And then it's like the cleaning and dealing with the ocean water on everything. And at the end of the day, it just was not worth the expense. And I know that you've seen my husband and I's financials, and we have both agreed that we would be very, very hard pressed to actually buy a residence anytime soon. We will probably rent for a good foreseeable future so we can do all of those other things because I don't love the idea of a primary residence as a good investment. Absolutely not. So couple of things because I'm a firm believer. I've always been a little bit against real estate, mostly because I just saw how much money my parents like yeah. just kept losing. And then I realized that everybody else was the same. Yeah. And so I one of the things is that the one thing that I love about the stock market versus real estate is that with the stock market, if I buy Apple or if I buy Microsoft and I hold it on until I retire, I don't have to pay taxes until I sell. Right. Like basically I buy a stock for $50 and then it becomes $200. I just made $150 off that stock. I don't pay taxes until I sell that stock. If I never sell the stock, I don't have to pay taxes. However, with a property, you have to pay taxes every single freaking year and you have to pay maintenance costs and you have to pay HOA and you have all these other things that people don't plan for. And it's like, at the end of the day, why do I have to pay the government every single year taxes for something that I'm using? Like, and people don't question that, right? Because we're taught that renting is throwing money down the toilet and that if in order to make it in America, you need to have, you know, a white picket fence and two children and and a barbecue and all things. But the reality is that most people that buy homes actually lose money, even if they tell you, because they never take into account the commissions, the bank fees, and all these other things that just kept piling up. They just forget, right? They just think of like big numbers. They're like, I totally made money. No, you didn't. Well, and I remember, you know, I told you my parents were in residential real estate and then commercial real estate for a long time. And especially with the residential real estate, I know my mom would get the property tax bills. And if those things went up, it was an astronomical amount. It wasn't like 10 or $15. It was like several hundred dollars semi-annually. And it's like, well, where is that money coming from? Like if some people, you know, don't plan for that stuff, it's like, okay, you've got two, three, $5,000 property tax bill. Like, yeah. why? 
Exactly. And people are like, I want to have my own home because it stays fixed and it's not going to go up. Your property taxes are going to go up. Your HOA fees are going to go up. Maintenance is going to go up. Your gardener is going to go up. So yeah, maybe the mortgage is going to go, but everything else is going to go up. (laughs) So yeah, I I am a, I could talk all day about this. (laughs) Yeah. And I think for me, it really comes down to the root of realizing, are you happy? Like truly, truly happy with not that much stuff. Are you buying all of this stuff for kind of an internalized reason of like, okay, things like I like things like I want to be happy. So I'm going to get all these things so I can seem like I'm happy. But for me, like that was part of my journey last year was like realizing, cause I'm very money driven, very goal oriented, like trying to realize what made me happy without spending money and without some sort of goal or achievement involved. And that was when a switch flipped for me of like, I'm totally good with what I have. Like, I don't need anything else. And like you said, I want to be able to travel. We want to go to all inclusive resorts around the world. We want to do that stuff. Neither of us give a fuck about having, you know, a Land Rover right now. Would I love a G wagon <laughs> in the future? Absolutely. It's on my vision board, but not until those income producing assets can pay for that. Yes, exactly. I, I love that. And I'm the same as you. It's like once I'm financially independent where my investments are covering like my life, yeah. Then I will have that nice G wagon. Then I will have, but like in the meantime, yes. you know, your money should be going to produce like two investments and towards producing more money to pro- exactly like the way you said it. I have a, I have a quote on my Instagram that's basically stating for people that are kind of nine to five or even just regular business owners. I'm like, don't actually buy. And that actually went viral. It, it became a big hit because I think it resonated with people where whatever with whatever money you're making whether it's a nine to five or a business don't buy you know things that you can't buy like you know spend it in in income producing assets and then have those income producing assets buy your g-wagon or buy your you know range rover or whatever you want but not the other way around and i think it hit home for people and it hit like and i i kind of like that mindset Yes, absolutely. Same. One last major question. So if someone is in a nine to five and they're kind of wanting to look at starting their own business, maybe they're going to transition out at some point. What is a decent investment strategy for them? Like maybe they already have a 401k and they kind of need to overhaul it, like switching out to self-employment basically. Yeah. So what I would say, if you're still at your nine to five, while you're still working, I would always say, I would always advise people to start a business while they're still have their nine to five, just because it takes a while for businesses to ramp up. So I always kind of recommend that. And that way you don't have like the burden. And then, but what I would actually recommend is as soon as you decide to really leave, have at least one year of your expenses covered in cash. So you have to realize that things are going to be slower most of the time. I know that on social media, everybody makes it seem like they just hit all this money like right away. It's not real life. It's going to take time. You know, people have their own, like customers don't become customers right away. They have their own timeline. And so have at least one year of your expenses covered so that if you're not making sales for by, by at least one year, you're going to be able to live and quit. Like what I would say is number one, don't quit your job until you're consistently making income in your side business and then you can quit. Then you can transition to like a one year cash. And then once you're out of your old company, you're maybe you have an old 401k at your old company. The first thing that I would tell you is to roll it over. So take that old 401k from your company 
and rolled it over into an IRA. There's a great company called High Capitalize. Um, I wish I was sponsored, but they're not. Uh, and they actually make it very easy for you to roll over your old 401k into a new IRA. They'll do it for you. The way they make money is basically whenever you open up a new bank account, they get a commission, but you don't have to pay anything. And so so don't open up any accounts if you're going to go with the company. That way, at least the company makes some money. And that's just the easiest way to just always have. I always advise people, your money should be very close to you. I had a, a friend, not a friend, but a billionaire friend or person that I knew. And one of the things that I always learned from him is keep your money close. Everything should be close to you. Don't give out your money. You know, don't leave your money at your old job, just hanging out there. Like keep everything, make sure you're in control of everything. You know, your passwords, you know how to get in. That is crucial because without money, nothing works. That is super valuable. Yeah. I love that. So yeah. last last major question, if people are listening to this and they're like, oh my God, Sylvia's the shit, how do they work with you? Like tell people what you do, what programs you offer, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So I have two major ways to work with me. The more like full on, which is what Megan did and what a lot of coaches that need like, you know, a little bit more overall and kind of want to fast track it is the VIP day where we are going to like literally clean up your entire financial life set up your retirement accounts, make sure you have a plan for your debt, make sure you have a plan for your business and really as your entire financial life. So you can finally adult. And if the VIP day is a little bit like too much, cause you're like, I don't want one-on-one. I don't want to talk to you. We for do sure. have a course. It's all about how to start investing. It's yeah. the passive income investing program. And it's much more affordable than the VIP day. It's just not on a one-on-one basis. Yeah. And there you can learn how to start investing so that you can finally retire early, which is a goal for a lot of people. Yes, absolutely. And I will tell you guys for the VIP day, I highly recommend it because Sylvia has payment plans too, you guys. Like you don't have to lump send this bitch. Like you you can spread it out. (laughs) And it's also a write-off for you too. Like Sylvia is considered a professional money manager. That is a write-off for your business too. So take that right off because it is so, so helpful. All of Sylvia's info will be in the show notes. Make sure to follow her. She drops financial gems all the time. Thank you. This was so wonderful. Thank you, Megan, so much. I I love talking to you and I'm hopeful we can do more in the future once we we can do a little part two. (laughs) Yes. And you know what we talked about previously that I haven't announced on the podcast yet because it hasn't launched. You and I are going to talk about that after this episode ends. So yes, you guys will be seeing more from Sylvia. So... I'm so excited. I'm so Not excited. Not to be so cryptic, so. but yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. we. Megan has a nice surprise. Yes, it's going to be amazing. It's in the works for end of March. But anyways, Sylvia, thank you. Guys, I hope you love this episode. Please share it to your social medias. That's how we get the message out a lot faster that way. Rate the podcast, subscribe to it. Help us push this message out. Share it with people that you think need it. We love you guys. Thank you so, so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Mwah. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening today. Before you go, would you love a free business strategy call? This is an amazing step towards creating your own business. Or if you're already a business owner, a beautiful time to chat with me and see where your business could maybe use a little bit of help. If that sounds like a hell yes, all you have to do is leave an honest review about the show wherever you listen to the podcast. Take a screenshot and send it to me, Megan at MeganTurleyCoaching.com and I'll get in touch with you to schedule your free business strategy call. 
I am so excited to chat with you and help you start and grow your business. Bye for now, angels. Mwah.